0: You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Google. My name is Johnny Barahona. And if you are on the panel discussion for the Department of Biblical Worship, you are in the right place. If not, stay because it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'll just introduce myself. I'm a student here at Southern Seminary. I'm getting my MA and, and I, I graduate. Hopefully. If all, all goes Maybe. well in December. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from South Florida. Is anybody from South
1: Florida? I know good. somebody
0: from Florida. Florida. Where was the woo from? <laughs> uh, oh, I know you. What about you? Uh, West Hollywood. West, West Palm Beach. All right. So, cool. Well, I'm, I've been here for four years, uh, and now I'm the worship director at Sojourn Community Church. I can unpack that, but I won't. Uh, well, real quick, I, I started as an intern, uh, and I think three years of internship, <laughs> of interning, eventually uh, landed me a job. I became passionate about uh, ministry. I actually, came to seminary to see if I would go into ministry, and. I think it was the second or third wow. lecture with Dr. Kreider uh, where I I knew I was called, and so ended up staying, attended, Sojourn, became an intern, eventually ended a job there, and now they're stuck with me, and I'll be there hopefully until I die. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> Johnny, just tell them real quickly what what your other op- what your other thought was, you're thinking either seminary or you were headed to where?
0: Yeah, so. Before I moved here to Louisville, I was actually touring as a full-time musician uh, based out of Miami with different uh, Christian artists in the Latin, in Integrity Latin uh, label. Uh, Ingrid Rosario, Christine Clario, those were like my top two uh, gigs, I would say. And then, yeah, felt called to go back to school and the Lord opened the door to come here and be a part of the Orin Hall Band. Uh, which started yeah four years ago we were <laughs> one of the first members and uh, to yeah get the get the worship program started here at uh, Southern Seminary and so yeah did I cover that yeah. yeah you did well awesome well I want to introduce our panelists um, I'll just let you guys introduce yourselves so if you want to go ahead oh thank you I'm
3: Scott Cannell and I direct the undergraduate program here for music and worship studies worship pastor at First. Southern Baptist Church in Floyd Snobbs, Indiana, just across the
2: river. I'm Joe Kreider, and I serve as our director of what we call the Institute for Biblical Worship. If you've not had a chance to get on that, that website, www.biblicalworship.com, there's tons of resources on there. Your Johnny mentioned the Norton Hall Band. Uh, there are several videos on there, but all the lead sheets are on there for you as well to just download lead sheets. Uh, we, we're, it's more of the hymns. I think all of the songs we've recorded are all hymns um, and uh, so we just do them in a, in a little different way, uh modern way. So all those lead sheets are there but there's also a lot of other uh, really, uh, we hope, helpful information on there for you. Chip Stam, who was one of our professors here for many many years. Here Chip Stam, passed away about uh, five or six years, well probably seven years ago now um he did a worship quote of the week, some of you might remember. Uh, they published that up at Calvin Institute uh, as the, in a book but we we do those each week as well on our on our, uh, our website and there are uh, blogs on there uh, all of our faculty blog on there as well uh, and a lot of other resources all of the folks that we've had come to speak uh, in our sessions we, we record those and put those on there tons of people so if you Looking for a resource on some things? That might be helpful for you as well. A lot of stuff on theology of worship and things like that. www.biblicalworship.com www.bib- is the best way to say it. Sorry. Right. I also teach, uh, direct the orchestra and uh, teach some of our uh, classes in the Department of Biblical Worship. And really, really honored that you're here today.
4: And hopefully we can answer some questions and get to know you a little better. I'm Greg Bruden. Uh, I'm the department chair for biblical worship for the seminary. Uh, I got here in 2002, and I was the first coordinator for the voice undergraduate program. And uh, Scott took over that a few years ago. And um, I travel with a group called the Voice Vocal Band. I'm out um, some weekends during the year with that group. Um, and I'm active at Ninth and O Baptist Church I'm in the worship ministry there. I'm not the main worship leader, but I help with the choir and then I do fill-in work and. Just got finished doing a nine month interim there, but uh, we now have a new worship pastor who is here in the room today. So, so I teach um, all kinds of, we all kind of teach all kinds of things yeah. um I teach uh, some worship classes, worshiping church, intro to worship for the voice students. and um, We teach some ministry classes. I teach private voice and I teach conducting. I, we, still, we, we still want our students to learn how to work with choirs. And so we, we do that here. So all of our students get some, um, some choir instruction water here. And uh, that's
1: about it. My name is, is Chuck Lewis. I arrived here in Louisville in 2011. I uh, spent about 20 years in South Florida at First Baptist Church of, of West Palm Beach. And the Lord just put it on my heart that it was, it was time to train the next generation of worship leaders. And so um, the opportunity came open here to be a full-time student uh... and a full-time faculty member at the same time <laughs> uh... It was, it was an insane four or five years but i uh, began to work on a, a phd in <clears throat> christian worship here as well as teaching in the department of biblical worship and, and uh... praise god that the uh... phd thing is done and finished last year and, and so uh... now i'm a full-time faculty here as well as um, minister of music and worship at Hurstbourne baptist church here in town uh, like Dr. Bruton, I, I teach a lot of different classes here, but one of the, one of the main emphasis is doxology. It's our, our touring vocal ensemble, primarily acapella, they sing some other things
5: too. I'm Esther Cruikshank. I teach hymnology, the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which is required for all of our majors, and um, ethno-doxology, which is facilitating worship song in indigenous heart languages. Um, We do a world hymns, congregational song in in world cultures, Um, and I've had the opportunity to take some teams um, to Central West Virginia to do Appalachian worship ministry, music ministry in some small mountain churches there. And we took a team to Central Java uh, to learn to play gamelan. You can ask me about that. Um, Fascinating. And just record some scripture songs written by indigenous believers in that context. Um, I play violin, I have the privilege of playing under Dr. Joe Kreider. um, In the orchestra, as you heard yesterday, how many worship violinists in the room?
3: Okay, Mm -hmm. all right. seems like there's a real need.
5: (laughs) 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 There you go, yeah.
0: Cool, well, uh, so the way we'll do this is, I have some questions that I feel like will help us maybe unpack a little bit of importance of theological education and its relation to local church worship ministry. And then we'll probably—I mean—you guys have the freedom to just insert personal experience, of course, as far as your involvement in your local church. And then we'll have some time to get your guys' questions and see uh, to see if they can answer them. <laughs> All right. So my first question is: In the last ten years, and whoever whoever wants to answer, how have you seen Christian colleges, Christian college and seminary education, specifically for worship leaders, change? So I'll say that again: How have you seen Christian college and seminary and seminary education, specifically for worship leaders
5: change.
4: I'll start. Yeah, no, go When I came to seminary back in the day, I'll say what year it was. We were in log cabins. Um, it was basically the music training. There was one degree. It was called a master church music here at Southern. And yeah, it was basically a conservatory degree. some of you may have had training like that it was it was all music all the time and it was classical music and when I left the, left my uh, studies here and went into the church I was in the church for almost 20 years full time before I came back up here and um, we didn't do any music like that when we got to the church you know, it was it was we were on the cusp of a lot of coming change into the church as far as music styles and, uh, and so I my education, I got a good music skill degree, but as far as uh, worship studies, and biblical theological studies, pastoral, um, I felt like I was weak in a lot of those areas. My first pastor, the church I served, was basically a mentor to me, uh, just helping me to try to figure out how to do ministry. Uh, I could do the music. Um, but um, So we've gone through a lot of metamorphosis, here, Metamorphosis here at Southern over the past probably about 10 years, I guess. Um, and all of our degrees are, are different. And we, we feel like uh, one of our main goals is to train pastors who lead worship. So we want to, we want to train men and women in the area of ministry to, to know how to do ministry, to work with people. Uh, I think musicians sometimes can have issues working with people, not anybody in this room, <laughs> but other people who are not in this room um, can have this personality type difficulty working with people so we're real big on you know, the, you know the church and ministering to people but we want our students to also have the skills that they need um, to do the music and so we haven't we haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater we still have high high level of skills required for our students in their music music reading uh, they have to have a, uh, they take voice lessons, they, they have to have a performing instrument, whether that be a guitar or a piano. Um, so we still do all that. Um, but we, we are trying to address the needs of the church today. And that's, that's really what we're charged with here at Southern Seminary because we are, we're an auxiliary group of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're to supply ministers for Southern Baptist Convention churches and other churches. And so we need to be making sure we know what's going on in the church and how can our students be prepared to work in those settings? So anyway, that. I was just going to say that half the curriculum is Bible
2: and theology so um, they're they're taking it, it used to be that Cook Hall was just the music building and this is the theology building and in, in sort of so to speak and there wasn't a lot of interaction between the two I mean there you know if you were a music major you basically stood over there but it really is just the importance of, of the, the, the the numbers of hours in systematic theology, one, two, and three, and New Testament, Old Testament, hermeneutics, uh, for, for our MDiv students, the, the biblical languages. So those are the things that are just rooted right over here. And then we have a, some faculty that teach in our, Dr. Ware teaches in our PhD program, and, and Dr. Nettles teaches with our <coughs> PhD program as well. so more and more and more just a real integration of realizing that we can't really do this without a theological base uh, and a biblical base for that. So, yeah, you know this,
3: I think that's a huge part of it and certainly my training was, was like Greg's and sort of come into the church and realizing music wasn't going to be the problem, it was everything else, which was a lot of what we were doing. But with that change in the last 10 years has been the catching up with where the church was on music that's right. because we had seen this huge continuum shift from what the seminaries were training for to the churches saying you know what we don't want that graduate anymore because we think we can get a guy to play guitar and do better for the style that we want but about 10 years ago they stopped they got disenchanted with the guitar guy because he had little to say that they wanted to hear because there was not a lot of substance so we wanted to create a program that was training for what the church was really asking for which was this thoughtful, uh, deeply um, trained in, in the theology of worship, theology of who God is, but also musically relevant to what was going on in the church. And so I, I remember just very uh, symbolically going out to meet a church in in Maryland who had been looking for a worship pastor for five years. And they, we had a, Common contact, so I went out to sit down with their committee, and they they just sort of laid it on the table. We've been looking for a guy for five years, and we can't find him, and we're trying to figure out why we can't find him because all we are getting are resumes of music guys, and we need a pastor who knows how to lead worship. And I said that's a that's a brilliant thought, and we are just now figuring out that's what we need to have been training, and we're there there. We're just having need some time
1: to get him out of the pipeline. One of the things that Scott just said, the word musically uh, relevant, Uh, we think about that term now really as musically diverse. We still are are, are very much uh, choir and orchestra, we love those things, Uh, but the modern worship language is here and and here to stay probably for a long time. So uh, if you wander around the the Cook Hall, especially in the the lower sections of Cook Hall, you'll see... um, laboratories that don't exist in, in many educational facilities like this. You'll see an, an acoustic guitar lab, you'll see a drum set lab, uh, you'll see a bass guitar lab, You'll see a keyboard lab, and then we want all of our students to be able to, to speak these languages and to be able to say more to their drummer than just play something softer, play something different. Although softer is usually yeah, so- <laughs> <houses are> good. Yeah, softer is good. Our goal, though, is to equip students to be able to function well in, a, in musically diverse environments.
0: So, Johnny, okay.
5: if, I, if I can take it back. 20 years, okay, so I've been here, Um, I came in 94, in 19, my apologies to you people right here, I hate this screen, Um, in 99 we started the worship program here in 2000, brought Professor Stam as the first worship professor, and um, our schools have merged twice since. I just want to echo what everyone else has said, we've seen, I've seen just um, increasing integration between the schools here, now that... All of the ministries other than senior pastor are in the Billy Graham School. And um, worship and missions and, and all of that. Um, there's more collaboration, even team teaching and so on. Um, I failed to say that I, a big part of what I do is teaching in the doctoral program um, since I've been here. So it's been my privilege to be the professor of some of the gentlemen on this panel and some of our other presenters. Um, you mentioned that Matt Boswell is in our PhD program. So um, we've seen um, in the past 20 years, you know, more professionaliz- professionalization of the worship leader, and I would say the rise of the worship pastor, is that roughly 20, 25 years, um, as a role um, where people, um, churches are looking for that, and, and schools are now, like, the establishment of worship programs, and we have the MDiv in worship leadership for that worship pastor role specifically. The other thing I would say is, the, is, since I've been here, the rise of the modern hymn. So I've been teaching hymnology this whole yes. time, and people were wringing their hands and saying to me, "Are we losing the hymns?" Well, excuse me, <laughs> just go to DNT, any of the plenary yes. sessions. So this has been such a joy, and it's been a joy to be part of Southern Seminary, and Professor Stam was a big part of helping the Gettys. Throughout the 2000s, I think they first came in 2005, correct me if I'm wrong, and then almost every year after that, and their repertory grows, and, you know, In Christ Alone, um, of course, 2001, but um, just seeing now this as a movement. And then the rise of the retuned movement. So that has changed what I teach dramatically. I'm writing a textbook just to try to catch up with all of this stuff. But um, it's it's changed everything that we do. So now we have students who are passionate researchers about archaic hymns. That didn't happen 20 years ago. (laughs) Praise be to God.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think you guys have already unpacked a little bit about the importance of a theological education as a worship leader. And Mm -hmm. we've seen that in our institution with those two departments growing. Specifically, would you guys be able to flesh out why seminary though? Because you can get, hopefully, you're at a local church level, you are (laughs) receiving some theological education. But specifically, um, seminary, talk about why seminary.
2: I'll I'll take a stab at that real quickly. One of the things that we like to tell our students (laughs) is that their theology informs their philosophy, which informs their methodology. If they're, if they're doing things methodologically that aren't rooted in a theology, then they're just try, probably chasing the CCLI top 40. It, it's just, what's the next cool tune to sing? Without ever really thinking about what, why they're singing it and what kind, of, what kind of information is coming through that song into the hearts and minds of their people who are listening and singing them. So, so as, we, as we think about that, And and here's what I tell our students because I'm one. I was trained as a trombone player. I I mean that's in performance degrees. It's confession. It's confession. (laughs) Yeah, from a clarinetist. All
5: right, we've got some more clarinet trombone players. I
2: love you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think. But I think one of the, the important things is is that for worship leaders and for for us. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't know what you don't know. And I and, and for for to, to really study biblical theology, systematic theology, uh, hermeneutics, those things synthesize so incredibly well with what we do on a weekly basis. And 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 as worship leaders of any whatever we do, we are t- we are giving them we're, what we're doing is basically helping them in their minds, realize who God is. And, boy, that is a stewardship that is, is significant. Am I saying that you can't be a worship leader if you have not gone to seminary? No, that is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that we're passionate about this because there is such a pastoral role. There's such a, there's an amazing stewardship with this. That especially in our culture right now, that is so antithetical against the gospel. If we're not singing songs that matter, and if we're not making transition statements and praying things that, as as Mueller said yesterday, Dr. Moller said yesterday, excuse me, Dr. Moller said yesterday, <laughs> if we're not doing that, then we're probably missing some things that, that could be so rich in, in the lives of our people. I, I know that from our own, my own my own situation at Lagrange Baptist, where I serve as a worship pastor there. I believe the only thing we
1: have of of any value to offer is the truth of God's word. Amen. That's it. It may be packaged in a song or a a video or a soundbite or what things we say transitionally, but that's that's the only thing that we have to offer of any value. And by the way, that's enough and more than enough. And I would just say that the uh, uh, looking to a seminary to to help equip you in that way. Uh, Most of us, I'll just speak for me. I'm not disciplined enough just to do it on my own and to just seek it out on my own. It, it took uh, actually committing a period of time in my life to say, okay, this is the time that I'm gonna try to pack my my theological bags, uh, my worship leader tools, and the tool bag as much as possible uh, to help me uh, with my uh, busy life and being undisciplined. Um, all of us are, are busy. We, you know, we have a to-do list that's a, a mile long. If I just try to do it on my own, it's probably going to get popped to the end of the list and, and maybe just put off. I'm going to put it off till next week, next month, next year. But when you're involved in a seminary degree program, then you've got professors cheering you on. You've got cohorts. You've got uh, friends that are doing it with you, cheering you on, and it helps you to cross the finish line uh, in a greater way.
3: I'll add to accountability, which Chuck was referencing, and, and then discipleship. <laughs> which is inherent in the environment we're in, the community, to be around a group of people that are all desiring the same thing and to have the kind of conversations you have, like at a conference, where it's intentional and it's focused and it's rich and you want to just kind of stay here for a few extra days or weeks or months or years, then that's what this environment does. It gives you that season of your life where you can be that intentional
5: there's also a yeah. greater spectrum, as Dr. Crowder is always saying, we want to expand our palette, our musical palette. Dr. Bruton said, you know, we, yes, we offer, we give you choral conducting, we equip you in, in all of those ways. And so you'll have opportunity to, to sing things and to, to do things that um, if not every local church who has an internship is going to have those resources, is going to have um, that basis.
0: Dr. Carter, you mentioned a minute ago that you were a trombone major in college. Is that correct? Yes. So, going back to prior education, how would you say, or any of you, um, how this worship program compares to the training that worship leaders are receiving now at Southern? The training that you've received comparing it to
4: Southern? I just think that what we're doing is what we all wish we had had. We came through it. Uh, I did a music education degree at college, and then then came to seminary. Um, it was basically all music all the time, like I said. And our undergraduate degree is a it's a Bible degree with a major in worship. I they, they graduate with a Bible degree, but they've got major hours in, in the area of music and worship. Um, if I if I'd had something like that on the undergraduate level, I'd probably have done that. And if I'd had some choices now on the master's level, I would, I would have done some different things now. I would have even done a different doctorate if I'd had the choices that we have now. Uh, because of my love for the church and my call to ministry, uh, I would have kind of taken some different avenues. But those those options were not there for me when I came up through the room. So...
0: I want to transition a little bit to specifically talk a little bit about the importance of theolo- theological education, specifically at Southern Seminary as profs. Um, just a few questions. First, what are the core characteristics that you believe the local church needs in a worship today and how is that being taught here? Do you want to read it again? <laughs> yeah.
1: No.
3: <There> you <laughs> yeah, I go back to that sitting with that church in Maryland and wishing I had somebody to recommend to them because I knew exactly what they longed for. It was what I had wished I was when I first started trying to do the job and seeing huge inadequacies and deficiencies, specifically in the area of just understanding the worthiness of God to be worshiped. So when I would stand on stage, music was ready, and I could (coughs) sing, and the instruments around me could play, but when it came time to say something, it was hard to find anything inspiring. Mm-hmm. Let's sing louder. <laughs> Let's do it better. Do it again. Let's do it again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do it with a key change. Yeah. Let's do it acapella, because that does something.
0: Just the drums more <laughs> <opposed> than <to, yeah.
3: laughs> But when you're thinking through ordo, and liturgy, and how elements in their order can communicate something. And you're thinking your pastor's sermon and where you're headed and where you've started and where you know your people are and being able to communicate this this communion with God that's going on from start to finish that's whole ordered service that's more than just some songs that happen to fit the key or that happen to fit the style but but things that create a dialogue between God and his people scripture and and elements of transition and so at the end of that for people to come forward and say I so enjoyed worship because I felt like I experienced God's presence I felt like I enjoyed experiencing who he is and what he's done through the gospel and I, I was able to confess my sin and to enjoy his forgiveness I needed this for, for Monday through Saturday and so I recognize on Sunday now because of what I've <clears throat> learned since my training, that I'm teaching them to live Monday through Saturday. And I
2: can teach them well, or I can teach them poorly. I was teaching them poorly. Johnny, I think another real quick thing about that is, the ministry or the people, and, and if, we ever, if we ever think that the ministry's the music, or the ministry's even the worship, then, then I think Aaron did a great job this morning just with the glory of God and, and reminding us all how easy it is to be those glorious thieves. And and I think in the training side of this, or, or at least in the from from helping our, our students think theologically, like Scott has just said, how does that move from the platform to the pew? And how do we how do we begin to 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 diminish that that barrier or that space between the platform and the pew so that we're really serving, really serving the congregation and that's a role of serving them rather than you know being the the one in the, on the front but but truly thinking not being the point but being the pointers and and as a, as a pointer how do we serve that congregation well how do we how do we steward our role well to serve them to point them to Christ and and those those are there are a lot of things that go into that and uh, to spend time just Working through that and realizing again, the theology forms your philosophy, which forms your methodology. It all goes back to that on each of those levels. You asked about core values.
1: I think probably I'm going to speak for us all, and you can uh, you can jump in and say maybe that's not it. But I believe that our central core value is this: that what your congregation needs from you more than anything else is your holiness more than your musicianship more than anything else they need your holiness and so we try to instill in our students uh, first of all that core value plus to develop within in them a lifelong passion to pursue Christ for a lifetime not just for a moment in time but for a lifetime that's
2: good
3: first content of the undergraduate program we designed the degree by sitting down with guys like Bob and Mike Casper and said, if you, if you were going to school today to do what you're doing now, what would that degree look like? And those two guys in particular just went from top to bottom through our degree and said, I'd want this kind of a class, I'd, I'd want this kind of an experience, and I'd want this kind of an emphasis. And that's how we put the undergraduate program together, with, with conversations like that, talking to pastors, talking to those who are already out there doing it and saying, what do you wish you'd had? And of course, our collective understanding of what we wished we'd had And that informed, I think, what's been a very successful implementation in the last five years of these new degrees
0: at the undergraduate level. So as you've continued theological education for worship leaders, what are some of the concerns as that you've seen with your own students? Um, And then in addition to that, I'll just go ahead and ask in your local church as far as worship goes and being.
1: for worship or concerns
0: for that you see like yeah for worship things that you with your student body um, which I would say probably very connected to the local church
4: mm-hmm. I guess one of our main <coughs> of our students is what Chuck was talking about is just to um, make sure they're walking with Christ and mm-hmm. um, our program is not I mean we're able to <coughs> our classes are small and so We probably have about 150 worship students here between the voice, college and seminary degrees, and all of our classes are 20 students or less usually. And we um, we we teach private lessons and um, (coughs) and we do mentoring with our students. Um, And I guess one of the things that we're just really we can give them all the skills, but if they they fall down in the area of their walk of Christ and they're able to, their ability to fight sin in their lives um, which just will disqualify them from ministry um, that's, I always tell my students I thought that, that they're walking around with a target on their back um, I just feel like that for people who are in ministry on any bus that um, we have a very high level of expectation as far as how we're, how we're walking with Christ, how we're in his word um, how we're fighting sin, our purity. I um, mean, our students today are just bombarded with um, some very evil stuff. They're just bombarded. And um, when I was that age, um, it was there, but it wasn't there to the point of what is there today. It's it wasn't just, on your phone. It wasn't on my phone. I didn't have a phone. No, I, didn't, I didn't even know I needed a cell phone when I was in college. <laughs> They weren't uh, existed. Well, if I was the FBI, I'd better want But um, I guess one of the one of the things that we are trying to do, we, we certainly want to train their minds and train their hands, but their hearts are very important. And so we we spend a lot of time just spending time with the students, just uh, trying to help them maneuver through family issues and. Uh, problems they had when they were younger and that, that have followed them around, um, and it's just trying to help them to see that how easy it is to um, to get the training, but to fail in the most important area—that's and that's your walk with Christ. So that would be that would be one of my concerns for for young worship leaders today: is just their their personal discipleship and how they're handling all that.
2: Johnny, I'll just say real quickly, too, and this is a Harold Best quote for those of you who know Harold, and this is not so much on the spiritual side, although that is the foundation, I think. You say that music is a wonderful wonderful servant, but a horrible master. So as musicians especially, we, we can really become so enamored with the musical side of things that that becomes that becomes it for us, and that becomes it for the musician who stands in front of somebody, especially. And and not only is music a horrible master, or a, you know a wonderful service, but a horrible master in itself in a worship service. But it also can do that in the heart of a of a of a of a leader, is that they become more enthralled and more engaged and more consumed by the music, rather than song by the consumed by the song than the Savior and when that happens then we lose the balance of that and 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 then it becomes for a completely different reason I think Aaron alluded to so many of those in his, in his message this morning that I thought was really powerful so as younger players as younger students come and there they probably have they probably think <coughs> they're, boy they're really on track with this they've had everybody tell them you have an incredible voice and an incredible gift you got to use this and so yeah, that's true. But but are, do they need to be maybe recalibrated in understanding that to, again to serve and to point rather than to be the point?
3: And connected with both of those things is this real temptation for all of us in platform ministry to develop a, a public persona that's right that's yeah. detached from the private reality right. yeah. and believing right. the public persona is the more important. That's right. And even buying into the, the thought that that's really all that matters. Yeah. So humility is something that they hear a lot about here and the ways we evaluate for placement, for advancement, and for, uh, for, for guidance. We, we might have a, a tremendously talented individual that's arrogant who will sit on the bench until they discover the arrogance. Uh, and, a, and a less talented but humble musician that we'll put in place. And I would recommend that for your worship teams. Recommend that for your local church involvement. Music just is prone to the prima donna Mm -hmm. personality. So is preaching. So is preaching. (laughs) Thank
5: you. Can I just add to that? Some of us had our training in um, musical training in secular institutions. And um, I was just speaking with our piano professor, um, Dr. Trocon, she's a brilliant Ecuadorian pianist and has a great testimony. She became a believer as an adult. And we were at a hearing last week and she said, you know, um, the world has to be good because they give themselves to the music. We have to be good because we give ourselves to the Lord and we play our music out of that. And we all have unsaved musician (coughs) friends and, you know, sometimes they wonder why we aren't living for the music as they are and so I think it's the integrity of our lives and our ministry over the long haul that is a witness to them at least that's my prayer for my um, yes. Christian friends Amen. Uh, should, go ahead you
0: want to, yeah,
2: go ahead. Um, as a pastor I've been in the church for 12 years now and uh, this church has had a history they've fired three worship leaders for immoral reasons. Mm -hmm. Now I've got a young college guy, he's a great guy, I've known him for several years, he's doing a great job. (coughs) So talk to me as a pastor, what do I do to help protect those who serve in this field of worship, and how can I help our churches know how to do that?
3: Uh, The first thing goes back to, I think, what I was saying before, is because of talent, we'll push somebody out there before they're ready, Mm -hmm. and then we'll see them fail and, and wonder what happened there. But the
2: maturity spiritually has to be the focus. There's a phrase that your talent can take you a lot farther than your character can sustain you.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: <coughs> and that, that that aspect of character, um, you discipling that worship leader, and you you absolutely helping them to realize it's not about him, and it's not he is not the point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and to help him realize that sin splatters and unfortunately the three guys that were left because that sin splattered all over your congregation. It splattered on people that had impact on them, that had impact on others. There are days when we talk about, in a classroom, we'll talk about a worship leader who has fallen, and I said, I guarantee you that that worship leader in Timbuktu had no clue that there would be a classroom in Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, talking about his moral failure. And are we all susceptible to it? As much as we are every day, I'm capable of sinning as much today as I was yesterday. But the realization of that, and the and and the encouragement, and the discipleship of that, and the in the word through that, I think is just absolutely vital. But boy, talent can take you a lot farther than your character can sustain you. And the sustaining character is where we where Chuck said the greatest need of our congregation is our personal moments. Our churches.
4: All of them
5: based
4: on a talent. Yeah. Exactly, yes. and so many churches. Yes. And it's been. very hard to. It's just hard when you're calling a worship leader yeah. to know where they are in their right. personal walk with Christ, and they can have this facade. I think um, I, my first pastor out of seminary he just took me under his wing, and was I mean, we met, we talked a lot, and uh, I just he's, I, he's no longer alive. He's been gone. Just with The lord been there for a number of years, but. I just so much appreciate him helping me, my first church out of of school, helping me see the, helping me to love the church, and to love it, love the people. Um, And then, and then he was always giving me books to read. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a uh, Andrew Murray and uh, uh, Ian Bounds. Mm -hmm. just all these kind of classic prayer books, books on prayer, and Bible study, and devotion, uh, Pursuit of God, Tozer. Um, I, I learned all, I didn't get that in seminary. I got that with my first pastor. And he was. Um, he, I didn't know what he was doing, but he's basically just mentoring me through that whole process. And I, I always thought, well, this is what you do when you're on staff, you meet with your pastor. But that's not true, because uh, a lot of staff, the pastor doesn't meet with you. And, uh, I would just say, as a pastor, the relationship you have with your worship leader is so important, and, uh, and the influence you can have. And I think that kind of can help you kind of gauge where they are spiritually as well when they're just meeting with them. And my my past one pastor I served with, we just we prayed a lot together. Mm-hmm. We just prayed, mm-hmm. and I, I think when, when you hear somebody's heart when you hear them mm-hmm. pray for you and for the family and for yes. the church, and um, that would be a, I think a good guard. Or your staff. Your
2: question, too, when you said they hired for talent, if a, if a search committee or a pastor could have just asked some basic questions: Define worship for me.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: What does it mean to gather a congregation? And what's what what are the purposes of corporate worship? Why do we gather? Biblically, what are the reasons we gather? Describe your own personal worship life. Describe your own personal yes. worship That's life. That's a great question. There are some questions. There are three or four questions that really hit to the theology of, of a person's understanding of worship, that you could you could you could literally knock out three fourths of a of a of a uh, you know resume list on the phone. Just be just asking some of those questions, and and, and realizing that. Uh, well, we, we get together and we sing songs. And- <laughs> that, thank me you of this so great song much. Yeah, reminds me of this great song <laughs> I've been writing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> Go back to writing your song. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Stick to songwriting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I would add one other question to that, uh, and that is a very difficult question to, answer, to ask, but to ask when is the last time you intentionally looked at pornography? committees do not ask that and they need to know it Mm -hmm. pastors need to know that before they enter into a covenant agreement thanks Dr. Lewis I have
0: one more question then I'll open it up for you guys to ask whatever questions you'd like Um, in what ways do you see the worship landscape changing in the future and how should we begin preparing for those changes and I'll also add maybe some trends that you see right now. (coughs) That's a great question.
3: I I will just start with the thought that uh, anything that gets popular tends to get trite and worship's been popular for a while now (coughs) and it's also Mm -hmm. been trite in some circles. And so an attempt to reclaim there's, there's splintering in different directions and I think it's going to be interesting to see where things do end up 10 years from now. Are we still talking about a worship band as the main ensemble? Probably but who knows and and who's going to be the one to determine how the content of those songs I mean we, we, we're reclaiming historic hymnody. that's a win that's a huge win. We're writing in a new hymn style, and I think that's a huge win, but we're still, there's still a predominant voice of, of really, unfortunately, trite worship music that's real popular. And they're hearing it on the radio, or they can see a YouTube video, and they want to do it in church, and that's often the worship leader that's doing that. So uh, there's going to be continual struggle to maintain the biblical integrity of the text that we're putting in people's mouths every
2: Sunday. Johnny, I'd like you to speak into this, too. I'd be really interested to know how many of you live in a city where it's becoming more and more multicultural, that, that, that there's a church, there's more, yeah, just the area, not necessarily your specific church, but your area.
5: Okay.
2: Yeah, probably, probably more than half. And, uh, and as that happens, I think our ability to expand our musical vocabularies in an authentic way is going to be really, really important, and um, I serve at Lagrange, which is north of Louisville in 71, about 15 miles, and we're very, we're we're, we're very um, homogenous, I can say. Um, but more and more, I'm realizing that that's not exactly how our how our surrounding county is. Doing. And Johnny, would you just say talk a yeah. little bit about sojourn and how that's done? I'm, If you don't mind me throwing that back at
0: you. Yeah, I think, no, that's totally fine. Um, I think Ferguson happened, and I don't think any church um, with faithful pastors found themselves with this dilemma that they need to not be solid but see what the Word of God says about race and the legacy of race issues that we've had in our country. And so I I think firmly that that doesn't even start with music. That starts with personal relationships and um, Mm. how the gospel speaks into that. And we've seen that at Sojourn. I mean, Mike Cosper preached a sermon, and usually I, I, I'd say a good number of people are like, Amen, amen. But on that Sunday, the church was divided in half. And so it kind of exposed a lot of areas of growth there. And uh, it's been a journey that we've been on. I would say, yeah, how long ago is that? Is that three years ago? Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson? Yeah. I, that's definitely definitely a trend I was actually talking to Dr. Crookshank last night about hymnody and how those how those two different cultures black and white culture come together um, with the hymns and that's a, that's another panel but um, she was actually telling me about some interesting trends and some research that you've been doing you want to share anything about that
5: Um, keep going for a little bit Which <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we were talking about Isaac Watts and then Talked about some
5: other hymn writers that. Well, there's a lot being done on historic hymnody that you would not have seen. uh, Is that the right direction that you were going? Yeah. You would not have seen a historic collection, a critical edition coming out that people are buying. You know, as a popular um, thing that we're going to use devotionally and in our churches. So the the historical piece of that is is exciting. Now, um, since I've got the floor, the new, yeah, go <laughs> the new handbook on ethnodoxology, it has been put together by a team. Now, Ron Mann is here as one of our presenters. Um, Jim Crabill, Robin Harris, there's a whole team of practitioners in the field of music missions slash, um, you know, cl- serving the churches culturally, um, whether it's overseas or in a multicultural <coughs> setting here. Chuck Stedham. At Bethlehem was one of the first people to take that course when, when it was offered here at Southern um, to try to, to, to serve his congregation uh, there, which is very multicultural to Dr. Piper's congregation. Um, but this is a good source book. If you want more on this, go to worldofworship.org. Um, great website that you can download, you know, video and audio resources, but also the the book itself is a collection of about 140 articles by different um, missionaries, uh, ethnomusicologists, believers working in in various contexts, and that book ranges from. Um, just using music in, in trauma settings, using music in refugee camps, it's a very helpful resource that could address a number, and, and using <coughs> music in North American churches where um, the world is coming to us. Book, you, is you, that you a book? Uh, yeah. it, no, it is a book. The website is worldofworship.org and you can buy the book on that website, um, but it's uh, Music and Worship in the Global Church Colon, an Ethnodoxology Handbook. Johnny, up
1: what yeah. sure. right. I asked for uh, trends of what we see currently. Yeah, I think it, the worship wars of the 80s and 90s uh, led to a, a fracturing in many ways of the church. And I think currently what I see is a coming home. A coming home of, of all the generations. And mm-hmm. a, you know, the labels of contemporary and traditional and blended and contemplative and those things beginning to, to pass away. And instead, uh, an embrace of every generation is important. The church is a family with God as its head, as its father. And families have young and old and in the middle, and sometimes we get to, to sing things that we prefer, and sometimes we defer to songs of another generation, both. Preference and deference, I think, is really, really important. And not just to defer to the song of another generation, but to defer joyfully. And I, that's how families function and families operate. So I see the multi-generational aspect of, uh, of, of church and worship as a family returning um, as in the aftermath of the worship war. So I, I call it a coming home. And I pray it, it continues for a long time. Well, we'll open it up. We just
0: have um, 12 minutes, I think. So yeah. <coughs>
2: You describe your approach in teaching your students about biblical liturgy, like
5: things, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. So at 330, I'm doing a <coughs> session on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's go. called scripture guided liturgy. <laughs> so
2: but we uh, uh, that's that we would say that would be one way that that we feel is really helpful for our students. Uh, but there, I mean, you know, there's the, the gospel arc. Uh, there is the, you know, the Isaiah model. There's the, the, the dialogical model. There, there are a lot of different ones. Um, I think probably uh, uh, Matt Boswell was talking mm-hmm. to our students on Tuesday and he said he, he likes to think of it this way. The idea of God, uh, man, yeah, you, you, you're you with me. Yeah. So, you know, God, man, uh, Christ, Christ response. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think, I think there are some sp- specifics to that that help a congregation based on their context um, but yeah I, I would say for all of us we would say it is scripture saturated and, and guided and gospel centered okay. scripture saturated and gospel centered but, yeah. but we don't just teach what do. right like, here, is, here is the way to do
1: it we right. teach many good godly grounded ways to, to plan mm-hmm. and lead worship right did that help?
3: And, and all decidedly Christocentric—that we're not missing the <coughs> gospel's key figure, mm-hmm. right? Which is historically a problem in worship, as
2: movements depart from the faith. <coughs> First thing you do is cut out Christ, right? Because he's the one that divides. Mm-hmm. Or the problem of of somehow thinking that we're ushering people to through to some place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That our only access to God is through Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, we, we don't get there through a really great guitar lick. Right? <laughs> yeah. It or, is the or, synth pad. Yeah. Or the synth pad. Or the, or the, or the, yeah, we're not <laughs> there in God's presence through the synth pad. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, great question. Thanks. Uh, yes. Um, you had mentioned, along the terms of when a church staff or the elders are interviewing uh, a potential worship leader pastor. Uh, That these questions should come up. Uh, I think it would be refreshing, at least for me, to hear what if someone asked you what is
2: worship. Sure, (laughs) sure, (laughs) great, great. So it's (laughs)
5: music.
2: It's when we go to church. I would say my response would be that worship is is like a rhythm of God's revelation and and the redeemed's response. To Christ in the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, so it's that back and forthness of God's revelation and our response. Um, that would be my really short version of it. You know, you could go really, really broad and say it's you know. I, I think uh, someone once said that you know worship is my response to what I value most. Well, that's okay on a huge, but but in Christian worship, it's that it's that rhythm of God's revelation and our response. Through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that would be that would, and we'd probably all have a little bit. Scott's probably answer would be a little different, but probably similar. Just, just mine would be different. They would all be different. yeah. <laughs> We're seminary. He's a boy. So Mine's a little lesson. Oh, of, less of <laughs> no, his is more He, edgy. At, he was at our student. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> we
1: have a question over here. Yeah. Um, so we talk about uh, pastors having, or sorry, worship leaders having a, a pastor position, or you know, a responsibility in shepherding the flock, yes. um, predominantly okay. in, in
2: worship. And um, just thinking about the pastor position, you know, through Scripture, you want to give your congregation something to take away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my question is, for for the
1: worship pastor, how can we shepherd our flock to have, I guess, a daily liturgy and not just have a liturgy on that we go through on a Sunday morning?
2: If you had a chance to ever see Don Whitney's book on prayer, uh, it's scripture guided for praying the Bible. Uh, it, it for, for, uh, for me, it's, it's helping our people realize that they worship through the scripture, that, that there are thousands of worship orders right here. So I think that that has been a help. And, and so that they see it each week. They see the scripture and how it guides that particular, that particular worship order can also see that they can look at that and say, wow, that can guide my own private worship time as well. So I think our liturgies all do that in some way, whether it's specifically scripture-guided or whether it might be that you know the four. Um, but what we do in corporate worship does inform incredibly what we do in, in private worship and in family worship as well. And I think you're being intentional about it is the first step to that.
4: I think also viewing what you're doing, not just meeting worship but you're actually discipling through your worship that's right i think sunday morning time is a discipling time you can use your music in whatever you say whatever what you're seeing can be have a discipling aspect to it mm-hmm. and that and that goes along with the kind of songs you're choosing. yes um i, I just think about uh, i often think about the songs that i choose that can carry people through the week yes um you know one one writer has said that um you know, he sees it as choos- uh, his, his worship music as providing a, a soundtrack for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> I think about that. The songs, uh, I think about you know these these songs that we sing on Sunday. That I think about the songs during the week. And mm-hmm. if do these songs have enough depth to them to help them to walk through the troubles that they're dealing with each day? And I, 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 so I believe not only should we be discipling our worship teams, which is very important ones that we work closely with, but I always also think we have to see our congregational service as one of discipling as well. Now, we're not taking away the role of the pastor and his preaching, but we're just coming right alongside, and we're we're, uh, we're leading one. Uh, I think John Frame has said in his book that when people leave a service on Sunday, they aren't usually quoting the points of the sermon. They're singing the songs, and we just need to make sure that's not a head-on pastor's um, not, um, the pastoral ministry I see as preaching ministry and the worship service is priority um, but um, we need to be giving our folks some songs that can carry them through the week and, I, and worship, worship our worship songs can do that John can I ask
1: a
0: question Go I we're about out of time <coughs> yeah, so, out
1: so here's a, a thing that I would have if I were been in your place right now 20 years ago when I was in church I would be saying I would love to do this, but I'm in Florida. I can't get to Louisville, Kentucky. I can't. I, I can't not have a salary. I, I have. Yeah, I got my family, kids, house payments, all those kind of things, car payments. I just I can't uproot and leave my job and come and do seminary. Um, is there another way, Dr. Brum? <laughs> Ten years ago, the answer was no. There was no other way. But Dr. Brum, is there another way? yes there's
4: another <laughs> <laughs> way we created a program you realize that you can do a full uh, an, M- an MDv fully online now at southern now the worship program is not fully online but and you can do an MDv here um, we created a program several years ago and we're asking for folks who are interested in this program to have at least seven years of full-time worship ministry experience sometimes we'll make some exceptions. And we offer our MA in worship leadership over three summers, two weeks a summer. You come you come in the summer for two weeks. You take worship courses when you're here for those two weeks with, with us and other, other professors. And then during the year, you're taking online Bible classes that go with that degree. And so um, three summers, you come three summers, you get the worship classes. And then during the year, you work on the online classes with the the professors here at the, in the theology school, Goodman School, we probably have about 15, 15 students that are doing that right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks that wish they could have done a uh, seminary degree uh, when they were younger, they didn't, and they want. I've got one guy in the program that's fifty years old. He just he wants the degree, he wants that training. He doesn't want the paper. I think he's, he wants the refreshing, mm-hmm. the fr- refreshment mm-hmm. of, the, of the training. And so uh, that's that's one thing we try to do. We we don't. We don't really believe in a fully online worship degree because we just feel like there's some things that we just can't teach online. Not very well, anyway. And so uh, it's still a large part of worship training has a music skill aspect to it. And so we, for that, we just feel like you need, you need to be in a room with some other folks working on music skills. Um, so that's, that's is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. So we're just about out of time,
0: but we'll be up here to answer any additional questions that you might have. Uh, why don't we close our time with prayer? Yeah. Want to pray prayer?
3: Like <coughs> Father, we are so thankful for times in our lives like this where we can interrupt the routine of our weeks and in many cases come to a different city and have a different scenery around us and just fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, <coughs> author and perfecter of our faith. And we are thankful for the ministry that's represented in this room, the various ministries, the churches, the advance of the kingdom that's represented by these in this room and those that have gathered at this conference. And our prayer, more than anybody coming to school here, is that the kingdom advance and the gospel be true and clear and expand around the globe. And that you use the people in this room that have gathered here in the most profound way to show that Jesus is truly glorious, that the Gospel is absolutely true, that the Word of God is our only hope, and that in the way we lead worship, we are pointing emphatically to these things, that people be changed and that people live worship and present their lives as living sacrifices to you (coughs) for your glory as a response to the tremendous sacrifice that your Son has made on our behalf. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for wanting to use us. (coughs) Thank you that in spite of us, your kingdom
2: stands forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.